This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3081 for Monday the 25th of May 2020. Today's show is entitled Wider Formal Verification. Quote, it is hosted by Tukutoro To and is about 19 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is Tutor 2 talks about testing and formal verification of software. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to Archive.org forward slash donate. things that 
humans can do, but computers cannot. But so uh, as soon as we start talking about examples, like I said, do this and verify that the result is this, then in my opinion, that's something that computers should be doing. And the uh, very lowest, and uh, well, not lowest, uh, probably the first uh, this kind of test that people encounter, uh, like I said, in a UI level or in a code level. But any, in any case, they are just like with this input, input the result, result should be this. The, and it works, like, and they are, they, are they are relatively easy to write and understand. But the thing is that this example covers only one specific case. Like, for example, if we are joining two lists together, and we are doing that with, we want to verify that with examples, we need at least, at least nine different tests, because you want to you 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 have uh most obvious interesting cases you have a empty list you have a list of one item and you have a list of many items and if you and two you have two of those so you have three times three tests basically like ah they are miscounted no three times three i think that is yeah it's like you want to combine to zero, zero uh, length list and verify that the result is a zero and length list and you want to combine zero length and one item and verify that it's the one item list with a, obviously with a correct item in it and then you want to do it the other way around one item list combined with the zero item list and see that the, that works. So you get nine tests and usually these are discovered, these test cases by staring Staring the code very sternly, or by analyzing the code, thinking thinking aloud that, and trying to find what would be the interesting cases. But the important thing is that they only cover cover some of the inputs. I mean, yeah, you could write plenty of tests, like you would write up to hundred items lists and every combination that. But then that would be Hundred to the power of two, and that's ten thousand, one hundred thousand, no ten thousand, different tests, and you don't want to write those by hand. So you have to focus these tests to to those interesting cases that you can discover by looking at the code. If you and the next next step from here would be writing property based tests, like here you try to capture properties of the function or piece of code or UI, whatever you're testing. Like, if you're combining two lists, one property would be that the, in the resulting list, there will be all the items of these two lists that you combined in a correct order. And another would be that the length of the new list is some of length of the those two lists that you combine. And then you have to tell the computer that this function accepts these kinds of parameters. You have to tell it that this takes two lists of 
zero or more items. And then when you're executing the test, the computer will randomly generate you test cases, for example, some arbitrary amount, 500 different test cases, starting with the simple ones and then getting using longer and longer lists. And if you are using strings, maybe uh, with uh, some uh, odd characters and things like that. So, and for each and every of those generated tests, it will verify that the properties that you defined are true, they hold. And if, if not, it will report that, hey, this, this specific case failed. Some tools even try to minimize the test case. So as soon as they encounter a failing test, they try to make it smaller. Like if it's a one million element list, they try to with shorter list and see if, if, if it still fails. They try to find as simple example that fails as possible. Other, other tools have databases that keep track of all the failed test, tests over time. So when you start a new test run, they will execute those failed tests first to see that they, are, they haven't been regression. And when those have been executed, they will start generating more test data. But again, this, this, will, this will cover bigger amount of inputs, but this cannot cover in... In all cases, this cannot cover all the inputs. If you have two booleans, for example, then and you are doing some operation with them, you have four combinations. That that one you can actually specify by hand. But if you have a some amount of booleans and you are doing some operation to them, and the amount of combination is reasonably small. This can cover all the all the combinations. But if in case you are doing something with numbers, like some big numbers, then this cannot cover all the possible combinations. But this can cover a much a much larger area of the inputs. But then if you have a some 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 really critical software that or you have some contractual obligation that you have to be really, really super sure that there is no problems. You can try going with the formal proofs, and this is this is the thing that I talk talk about in that episode 3057 formal verification with Coke. Here you treat the code as a mathematical function because if you look them from the certain angle, they are they are identical, like code code and mathematics are uh, different sides of the same coin, basically. And then you can prove mathematically that these properties that somebody wants your list uh, joining function to have actually hold. You can, I didn't do this by hand, but I would think if I had to do, do this, I would start with both lists at a zero length. And prove that you get the resulting list is a zero length list. And then if you first one is a zero length and second one is n plus one items, I would be using induction and again, again prove that. And then the first one is n plus one items and the second one is zero items. And the last, usually the most tricky to prove is the, that both are 
n plus 1 items and then prove it that it n is any arbitrary number here. The reason why we, are, why, why we would be doing this is because we would be using the induction, mathematical induction, because if we can prove that the function works as we want with a, uh, 0 and n plus 1, then we can say that it works with everything, because n plus 1 is 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or whatever. So you could you could prove that no matter no matter how long list we give to this function, it will the resulting the resulting list will be length will be the sum of those two lists and they will be all items present in correct order. But uh, so why why aren't we doing this? The thing is that this is suitable only for certain languages. The the functions that you are proving, they they have to be real mathematical functions. So data in, data out, and no 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 touching uh, hard drive, no sending messages to other systems. Nothing. Just data in, data out. They can go on other functions, but those other functions have to obey the same rules: data in, data out. So it really has to be a mathematical mathematical. Uh, view on the software, and that's not that's not actually that's not actually that difficult. It's just because it's different than what people are usually used to. It takes a bit of time to change your change your brain to look code a little bit differently and learn different ways of abstracting and combining and and splitting the software and all that stuff that every software developer does every day. But the biggest one is probably because the proving is really tricky. It takes lots of time and effort until you are really good at that. And if redoing tests is frustrating when you change the software, imagine how frustrating it must be redoing the proofs. Because tests usually look the, for example, function outside. They have an interface, and they give data into that, and they get data out of that, and then they can verify that this data that we gave in, and this output that we got out, that they are, they are what we want, want it to be. So it's a bit easier. But when you're proving mathematically that the code does it, does what it should be, you are, you are looking inside of the function. You are looking how it has been implemented. And if that implementation changes very drastically, then your proof isn't valid anymore and you have to redo it. And then, of course, the usual thing, tests or mathematical proofs don't, don't guarantee correctness. So you can have all the tests you want, you can have all the proofs that you want, but your software still isn't correct. This is because the original spec could be wrong. The, I mean, the original specification could be wrong. Whoever wrote it made a mistake. Or they could, could have omitted something completely obvious to themselves that is not obvious to the developers who are going to write it. Or the developer who is 
reading the specification misunderstood it. Or somebody could have made a mistake while writing a test or a theorem that they are proving. Like, for example, somebody could write that I want a, a function that combines two lists together. And they forgot to, uh, forgot to mention that, by the way, in this business field that we are working on, every time we are combining lists, we are putting a comma in between for whatever, for whatever reason. But because this is, this is not written in the specification, then the developer doesn't know that and then they cannot implement it correctly. Or it could be that the, the person who writes that I want to combine these two, two lists uh, are wanted that the resulting list only has the each item once. So if you have a list one, two, three, and another list two, three, four, you, the resulting will, the resulting list will be one, two, three, four. So duplicates will be dropped. And for the for them it might be completely obvious. For example, if they are making a list of cars that are in the in the storehouse, of course the one car is not list only once because they only have a one car. You can, you don't have a same car twice in the bookkeeping. So for them, for them that is completely obvious. But for the developer that probably isn't completely obvious. But if they if they had, they had been saying that we want to instead of lists we want to use sets because then the developer might understand that hey set that's always only unique items. So it's not it's not that easy. So uh, as a summary, so there's a cost versus gain here. Like some things are best tested by humans, sometimes things are best tested by the uh, automated examples or verif verified rather. So you have a do this, do this, and this happens. That kind of things. Some, some, but you you can only cover some specific cases in that way. You cannot cover all the cases. If you want to a bit bit more um, broader verification, you use property-based testing, or rather different kind of verification. You use property-based testing because then the computer generates your test data and you verify that your system can handle that test data, be it booleans or be it but whatever huge lists or uh, accounting books of some company. Computer can generate you that data and then use that to verify that your your software works correctly. Or you can go all out and mat mathematically prove that your software does what it is supposed to do, but then you have to use uh, specific languages and the uh, cost will be much higher because it will be much slower. But in this case, you can cover all the inputs. Hopefully that clarifies why why, in, why on earth would you want to or why you wouldn't want to do formal verification with GOG or some other other tool. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, I'm always interested to hear them. You can reach me by email or at the Fediverse where I'm tuturto at mastodon.social. Keep on hacking.
You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.